Hello, friends. Welcome to season two of the 21st Century Farm D podcast. My name is Brooke Griffin, and I'm your host. This season, you will hear from inspiring pharmacists who have an important message for us all. Let's get right to it. In this episode, I am interviewing Viral VS. I actually remember Viral as a student at Midwestern, and you'll hear how surprised I am when he tells me that the outgoing personality I remember did not always come naturally to him. He curates it with intentionality and purpose. Take a listen. Hey, Viral, how are you? Good, how are you, Brooke? Good, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, Excited to chat today. Yeah, me too. And uh, we just spent the last 10 to 15 minutes just like talking and I, and I want to reproduce all of that for this yeah. podcast. So we're going to have to remember what we said because I think sure. there was some really good stuff in there. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so I usually start by asking my guests the story behind their name. Would you mind sharing? Yeah, the story behind my name, uh, Viral. I don't know exactly how my parents decided to pick Viral, but I know that the Indian way to spell it is V-I-R-A-L. So it mm. could be mispronounced as viral, right? And so my mom wrote my name down on a card and took it to all the nurses and said, hey, how would you pronounce this? And so all the nurses said viral, right? And healthcare, V-I-R-A-L is viral, right? And so um, she changed the, the I to the E's. But anybody who is, um, you know, spells it the Indian way will always write V-I-R-A-L. But uh, that's the, the fun fact about my name, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's interesting. So I have a student right now, Viral, who spells yeah. it V-I-R-A-L. Yes, and I was I was thinking in my head, I wonder how many times it's mispronounced. Yep. Um, that's fascinating. Okay, thanks for sharing. Yeah, for sure. So you and I actually met at Midwestern because you're a 2015 graduate, and I remember you from a couple of workshops, uh, a couple of classes, and you were, you were just always smiling and just really had this outgoing personality. So I think I'm, I'm going to start with a really hard question. Sure. Um, <laughs> How was your personality and outgoing nature, or at least that was my perception, um, how did that impact your career? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the kind words. And uh, I think maybe if I backtrack a little bit, I was not always that way. Uh, up until the 11th grade, I was very shy. I was kind of the uh, stereotypical like nerd, I guess you could say. I had an oversized backpack, huge glasses, and I wouldn't talk to anybody. But uh, I read this book called The Magic of Thinking Big. My dad made me read it. And you know how when your parents tell you to do something, you're always like, ah, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then in the 11th grade, I was like, heck with it. Um, I'm never going to see half these people anyway, because the community that I grew up in, uh, it was kind of after high school, nobody really kept in touch or whatever the case was. And so I read this book and it really started to change and challenge a lot of my ways of thinking. And so what I started doing is I started to push myself to do things that I was afraid of. So I was definitely terrified of talking to people. Even right now, if I walk down a street, innately, I will look down or innately, I won't start conversation, but I have to remind myself subconsciously that, hey, if you don't do it, this fear will take over you, right? And so that kind of translated into some of the teaching and presentation stuff that I did. Like even now when I present, I get butterflies, but I know that if I don't do it, the butterflies will overtake it, you know? But I think kind of looping back to your question, I think the fact of being uh, outgoing or, you know, positive, I think that has helped in the sense that it does open up a lot of different doors and it allows people to just have a nice, genuine connection versus if somebody is grumpy or, you know, um, doesn't have that smile on the face, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I never would have guessed that about you from just from what I knew from when I knew you in college and post college. Yeah. I never would have guessed that about eleventh eleventh grade Viral. Yeah, so um, welcome to the eleventh grade. I was super shy, and that's why I like to share it because it's a. I feel like if you want to change something about yourself, uh, it doesn't have to be that it's good or bad, right? It's just a personal preference. But if you want to make a change, you can do it. It just might take a lot of subconscious work, but you could do it. So have you ever thanked your dad for forcing you to read that book? I'm just curious. Yeah, I thank him all the time. Um, and every time I, I do an interview, I talk to somebody, I bring up the book and he's like, see, I told you. And so uh, <laughs> the most recent book that he, uh, he recommended, so my parents have a couple of family businesses and uh, they're big on positive mental attitude, development, mentorship. And so they have a book club and they, they use that in their mentoring. But the most recent book that has had a big impact is uh, called The Ant and the Elephant. And uh, it talks about the power of the subconscious mind. And so I referenced that book a lot. And now anytime someone I recommend the book to says, hey, this is a great book. I let my dad know. He's like, see, you should listen to me more often. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have not read either one of those. So I just wrote them down. They're on my list now. Yeah. So I think uh, actually The Ant and the Elephant is a really good, like it's a segue. So your, your older kid might actually um, enjoy it as a storybook. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, because that was my next question for you. Like, if you read the, the Magic of Thinking Big in 11th grade, what grade level do you think it would be appropriate for? Can you go down to middle school, or do you think? Yeah, so my okay. parents actually uh, made me listen to positive mental attitude tapes when I was in middle school. Like, when we'd be in the car, like, that's what they would play. So we wouldn't listen to music. So I had a very unique childhood in the sense that I had an innate high self-confidence. Um, I knew I had, like, a high self-worth but it was just, I was shy and some of those things. Um, but I think that a lot of these books and there's even like um, the current book I'm reading right now is called Being Happy. And uh, it's, it's literally like a storybook and there's a lot of pictures. So you could bring it down to earlier. Wow, okay, that's fascinating. Wow, that's interesting about the car rides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's great. So. so as a student, I noticed that you both, you worked both inpatient and outpatient. You had both sets of experiences. And I'm wondering, I'm sure that was helpful, helpful to you, but I'm wondering if you can just expand upon that. And would you recommend that to current students to try to get that varying level of experience? Yeah, so I get really excited sharing about this as well, because uh, at Midwestern, I don't remember where it was in what class or what teacher. I just remember at one point in time at Midwestern, I was told that, hey, whatever you want to do in your career path, you need to figure out like pretty much ASAP or before you get out, because once you get into the field, it might be a little bit harder to change. And I agree with some parts of it, right? Like in the mental part that you might just be stuck in that route or whatever. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to have options and I wanted to diversify. That was just something that I knew. So I wanted to make sure I got every chance I could and what better way than as a student, right? And so um, I worked community pharmacy um, and my P2 year, I actually worked 30 hours, 30, 35 hours at a community pharmacy. And then I worked a couple of days at an inpatient pharmacy. And then I was on three or four boards, I forget. Um, but it was a stressful year, but it allowed me to grow a lot. So I learned that anybody who is, uh, or a majority of people that run multiple things are very well managed on their time and they get things done, right? If you wanna give, if you wanna, if you have someone who's not busy and someone who's busy, I was always told, give the busy person the thing to get done and they'll figure out how to get it done because they'll prioritize it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that was very important because I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Very honestly, I didn't uh, know much about pharmacy when I got into Midwestern. And so once I got in, I said, hey, I need to figure out, <laughs> I need to figure out what field, I'm, what part of this field I'm going to go into. 
And so I looked at community. I did that. I looked into inpatient. Um, and my inpatient experience was really actually probably just a fluke. I started working at the gift basket or the gift gift shop. Mm. And um, I would deliver baskets and I would accidentally make my way to the pharmacy accidentally, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to put yourself in situations. They're not always going to be made for you. And so the, the pharmacy folks there said, hey, you know, like asked me about my background. I said, hey, I'm in pharmacy school. They said, hey, why don't you just transfer here? And so the gift basket was through like a work study program. But then I actually got a full time job at the pharmacy. It was kind of a unique situation. And through that, while I was inpatient, I knew that, you know, there was more to inpatient because of what I heard at school than just um, the quote unquote central fill pharmacy. And so I said, hey, can I go deliver these meds on the floors? By delivering meds on the floors, I had a chance to talk to physicians, nurses, pharmacists. There was a satellite pharmacy that I accidentally made my way to, right? There was code <laughs> I accidentally made my way to. Because at the end of the day, these experiences are there for us. It's just, we got to take them, right? No mm-hmm. one's going to add to us. So I think that was very helpful. Uh, my P2 year, I believe, um, Harish Desai was a, a year above me. He, uh, he taught a class in leadership, topics in leadership management was a class. So I was sitting in the class and I was like, if this dude could do it, I could probably do it. That's literally the thought that was going through my head. And, um, and so he did his talk. I said, hey, how did you get a chance to do this? I literally just asked him. He was like, oh, I asked. And, and he kind of told me. And so I went to the, the teacher and I said, hey, do you think you might have an opportunity for this for next year? She said, I actually have one for next semester. So that started. And so I did that. And then I leveraged social media to essentially blow it up on Instagram and Facebook from the connections that I had previously made through the other networks or the other organizations I was a part of. And that led to being able to teach at other schools. So then I got my fix of, hey, do I want to do academia or not, right? Um, The only other options that I hadn't really explored were managed care and industry. But I feel like every other option I had kind of uh, either touched or heard about. So I think it was definitely instrumental in in helping me. Wow, I love the gift shop story. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, that's, uh, it's kind of really how you make it, right? Even even in my experience in my community setting, um, you could be the community pharmacist, which is good or you could be the community pharmacist that reaches out to the community. And um, in my first role, we had a flu shot goal and there was no way we were gonna hit it. So I just accidentally ended up at different businesses in the community, accidentally, right? Mm-hmm. When I wanted to, in pharmacy school, when I was looking to, I knew that you know how the interview process worked and I knew that if I made, if I accidentally met every single manager in the district, there's only so many people that will interview you, right? So at some point you're gonna get somebody who knows you, who's seen your work, because to work with somebody and see their resume is a little bit different, right? You get more opportunity to create that impact by having that face-to-face, working with them on a shift. And so I accidentally would, uh, quote unquote, go to every single target that I knew um, that was in my whatever, maybe 20 mile radius. And my goal was, hey, by the time I graduate, I should know at least all of the managers and if not all of the managers, at least somebody in that store, and ideally the manager and the staff. Um, did that take a lot of work? Yeah, but I was determined that I wanted a job before I graduated, and I wanted a certain income, and I wanted a certain package, if that made sense. Um, yeah, yeah, this is making a lot of sense, and I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people because currently it, it's probably not much different than a lot of students they enter pharmacy school knowing about community pharmacy, maybe knowing about hospital pharmacy, but they don't necessarily know about these other paths. And to be able to take it upon yourself and say, 
as a student, I'm going to do what I can to explore all these options so I feel ready and in control of my career by the time I graduate. And I'm not just reacting to the offers that I may or may not be getting. So yeah, I really like this approach about being more intentional about trying to get these varying experiences, trying to do as much networking as you can to give yourself the visibility that you need. So I think what's fascinating about this is that you had the, the foresight to do this and the curiosity to, you know, you followed your curiosities to figure out, well, what does the pharmacist up on the floors do? And what do the physicians do? And what happens at a code? Um, and a question I have for you is, now that you've told me that your parents made you listen to these tapes in the car, I'm curious if any of that has contributed to, it's almost, it almost sounds like you have a kind of a lack of fear about trying some of these things or introducing yourself to new people. Maybe you overcame that when you felt more comfortable talking to people, but was there something in the tapes that helped you, help push you in this direction? Oh, for sure, no, and I think that's key. I think a lot of people, um, and I think we might talk about this, or I, I don't know, maybe we talked about this earlier, but I think that this is an important component that we don't teach in school. I don't, I don't, I mean, it might be an undergrad, but I didn't get it when I was in school. Um, and it's about that self-development piece, right? So I listened to tapes by uh, Dr. Shad Hemstetler, right? Like what to say when you talk to yourself. These were just different, different, and it wasn't just that, it was a multitude of, of positive mental attitude, but it really at a very early age instilled in my mind that, hey, essentially whatever you wanna do, you have the ability to create, right? It's not anybody else's responsibility to give me a job. It's not anybody else's responsibility to say, hey, Viral, you should interview here. No, it's, it's my responsibility. And I kind of heard the rumblings that, oh, the market is saturated. Oh, it's hard to get a job. Oh, you don't get a sign on bonus. Oh, you won't get a certain amount of weeks of vacation. And I'm innately the kind of person that if you tell me I can't do it, I'm going to prove you wrong if it's something I want. Like, I'm just going to do it. And so um, in one of the books, I was told to write down, hey, what are things you want? And so this is from right before I graduated my P4 year. And I, like, it resonates with me because it talks about the power of manifestation and, um, and written down goals. So I wrote down four things I wanted in my job and I got all of them. Um, and wait I, so wait, you're showing the thing you're showing me right now. I know uh, for people who are just listening, it's a tattered piece of paper that you've saved this from when right before you wrote this right before you graduated. Yeah, it was a uh, right out like right while I was on rotation or P3 year or something like that, because I got my first job offer my P3 year. So you know how we did the career fair? Yeah, uh, I already had a job offer going into career fair. And I had another one on the way. So I wasn't in a bad situation. I just wanted to control all the odds if that made sense. Um, but I knew I wanted a certain base salary. I knew I wanted a certain amount of sign on bonus. I knew I didn't want to work a certain amount of time. Um, I knew I wanted to be a certain location away from, from where I was living. Um, I knew the environment that I wanted. And so I wrote all that down. And then um, obviously this has changed over time as I've switched jobs, right? But uh, even in my retail career, while I was in retail or community, uh, I had a post-it note just like this and I would write down what I wanted in my next job. So anytime, you know, there was some pressure, anytime I got a little, uh, you know, I would just open my wallet and I would look at it and be like, Hey, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And this is not to say you can just write it down and not do anything, right? You have to actively be focused. When I was transitioning the six months that I started applying from my community pharmacy career to my managed care career, I'd applied to 555 jobs. So wow. It wasn't like I wasn't doing anything. I was gung-ho crazy for the next step, right? Um, so I think it has to be a little bit of both. But looping back to your original question, yes. I think that adding positive mental attitude, adding these different skill sets, 
definitely helps. Um, I'm still innately afraid to talk to people, but I just know that if I don't do it, the fear will overcome it. Wow, thank you for sharing. 555 jobs in six months. Um, so I, it sounds like right after graduation, you worked community, you were a manager for a while, and then you transitioned into managed care. Tell us a little bit about that transition. Um, what, do, what attracted you to managed care? And tell us a little bit more about your current role. Yeah, so um, I only, I very honestly only got the job because of somebody I knew, um, very honestly. And so again, that, that networking piece comes in handy. Someone that my parents uh, had gone into business with 27 years ago, their daughter was dating somebody whose sister ended up being on this team who I had worked with as a PRN pharmacist. That's literally how it worked. Um, but I had applied to 550 some jobs and this was literally at the end. Um, and so that transition was a little bit in the sense I'd been applying, I think maybe since June or August and around November, I'd gotten nothing. I'd literally applied to all these jobs. I would be looking and I'd say, Hey, like there's people that are doing these jobs that, um, I know I could do, let's put it that way. I know I could do, I know how these, these experiences. And so I ch changed my verbiage. Um, in November, I remember, cause I had a couple of family friends who knew I was applying and we would meet and they would ask. And they're like, hey, how's your job search going? I'd be like, oh, it's great. I already got an offer. We're just waiting to sign it. Everything looks great. Uh, we're just waiting for the final paperwork. So, and I got my offer in January. So from November to January, I essentially tricked my brain and everybody else's brain into thinking I already had a job offer when I had nothing. But I think that that is very important. And I'm not saying go and lie to everybody, but you just need to trick your brain a little bit sometimes. Um, so that, that's kind of that transition. Uh, the thing that I liked about managed care was it was honestly an area that I hadn't explored. Uh, in the news, you see a lot of things about people saying, oh, this is bad, this is bad. But I really wanted to understand, hey, how do all of these things work? So in my current role, I work on the utilization management team. The simple way to explain that is when you go to the community pharmacy, you see a prior auth, a step therapy, or a quantity limit, my team is the team that makes that based on a clinical criteria. Then we take that, we talk to key opinion leaders or people, um, physicians, and um, pharma, there's actually pharmacists and different healthcare providers that are highly respected in the area, get their feedback, see how it would work with their patients, see if they feel like there's any maybe issues in the criteria. Then we work with all the other teams to kind of implement that, the prior auth team, uh, to make sure that this will be feasible downstream and then that gets implemented across all of the chain. That's so like what a are, level overview. <laughs> okay, so give us a summary. What are some of the positions in managed care that a pharmacist could be in? You know, that's, um, that's a good question because I really believe that the opportunities are endless. This also goes back to that 555 jobs that I had applied for, even as a community pharmacist, right? So I did the dual acceptance program, so I don't have a bachelor's degree. I really don't have any other all of my educational training is literally Midwestern pharmacy and then two years of Benedictine, which is just general. But even with that, there are so many ways you can, I don't want to use the word finagle, but I don't know a better word, finagle or maybe position yourself into a job that um, you can qualify for. It's just, you have to get creative and you have to think about, hey, what can I offer this company or these people? Where are my skill sets as a human? Not just based on what I learned based on my degree, but as a human, and there were so many jobs that I applied for that I had never even heard of. You just have to take the time to look for. Um, and so in managed care, there's, most people know about the PA pharmacist, the prior auth pharmacist. Most people know about the MTM pharmacist saying, hey, you know, talking with patients about their medications. 
there's many subsets that branch off of those two areas, whether you go into leadership or whether you go into different parts of that. Outside of that, there are people that work in drug intelligence, drug information, um, the pipeline team. There's people that work in um, formulary. Formulary also branches off into different ways. Another part of my role this past year in my current job, my unofficial role, was I did coding. So there's also a portion you can do coding. So at the retail pharmacy where you see prior auth, SEP therapy, I was actually the person that helped put all those in there. And so that's another portion of pharmacy that maybe we don't hear as much. Um, there's informatics. I think that pharmacy in general can really get you into many doors, if that makes sense. Um, and I know this might be an unpopular opinion, but it is what it is. Some people say you need other degrees and stuff. It might help for some people, but I don't think that it's an end-all be-all. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. There's a whole bunch of, there's a quality team. There's, there's so many different things you can do in managed care as a pharmacist. There's product owners. Uh, literally, the world is endless. Okay, that's good to know. I think you might be the first person I'm interviewing who has a managed care role. So if people have more questions about it or want to talk to you about it, you they can reach out yeah. to you on LinkedIn. I'll post yeah, your sure. URL. Okay, great. So can you describe like a typical day for you as someone who works in utilization management? Uh, there's no typical day. Okay. Um, but the beautiful thing that I enjoy is um, you kind of get to make your own schedule in the sense that I can compare and contrast with maybe uh, community pharmacy or, or uh, maybe a more patient-facing role, if that's fair to say. So my role is not patient-facing at all. It's not client-facing. Oh, another thing you could do in managed care is you could work with clients. Nope. So my role is kind of behind the scenes. So I know there are a certain amount of tasks and things that I need to get done. So I really have the ability to kind of prioritize that. Um, whether it's different programs we're working on, different consults we have, different special projects we have, um, inquiries from other parts of the, the organization. Uh, so there's no, I don't want to say there's a typical, you know, um, day, but there's, for the most part, a lot of times you can kind of make a skeleton. So when I did the patient counseling competition at Midwestern, I learned this concept of making a skeleton. So it's kind of like big bullet points you're going to get through, and then you can fill the rest of the day. So there are some certain skeletons in my role. What that would mean is, hey, I know every day I'm going to check to make sure I did all the guideline reviews I had allotted for that day. Hey, I know I'm going to make sure I check my, my inquiries from other parts of the company, whether we're working on special projects. And then in between that, there's always things that can go awry, um, whether it's with whatever is going on in, in the, the current healthcare state or whatever's going on in, in the world with these, these different diseases. Um, that can always play a role. Does that kind of help answer the question? Yeah, it does. It does. And it made me think about pre-COVID. Uh, it was always my understanding that the managed care industry had a lot of work from home opportunities. Is, and I'm, is, I'm sure that's the case You know, now that we're in the middle of COVID. But um, can you talk about that? Are there some positions like the MTM pharmacist, the PA pharmacist, some of those can be work from home, a little flexible? Yeah, I think, I think that's another thing that's um, maybe a little bit different versus uh, the community setting or patient facing, let's put it that way. Um, there's different roles on different teams with different companies. So there's a lot of variables. Some, some roles at different companies, one can be work from home and one cannot be. Mm. Uh, my role was where I would go into the office every day, mm -hmm. uh, but there was a person on my team who worked from home. So take that for what it is. Um, but I believe that the way that the economy is now and the way that things are changing I believe that people see the value of, hey, work from home more than ever, right? Because yeah. 
the tendency is people might work more. The tendency is people will be happier because they can wear sweats or whatever they want to do. They can go get their food, whatever. Um, and the fact is from a fi purely financial standpoint, right? If you look at it, uh, I think it was, I forgot what, what, uh, what news article or whatever it was, but I think there was something that I was listening to that like employers spend anywhere from like four to 16,000 on a cube. So if you're going to say four to 16,000, you could take that money and either incentivize your employee, you could get them a monitor, you could even get them all the supplies that they needed and you'd still make money on it. Right. Yeah. And then you can release the building or whatever the case is. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm not a finance guy, but this is just my, my math one-on-one talking here. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fascinating what we're going to see with all these corporate buildings. You know, yeah. it, inner city, suburbia, I, I think it's fascinating. So you're right. I think the bottom line will speak. Yeah. And I, I think there is a there is a time and place, you know, many people say, oh, you got to get together as a team. You got to get together as a team. That's fine. Once a week, get together, come to the office, whatever. Or now with all of these platforms, you still have the ability to get together, right? Like we're talking right now. This would have never been able to happen maybe 10, 15 years ago, right? Right. Um, right. Um, yeah. Love so it. there's a lot of opportunities in I think there's a lot of opportunities in every area of pharmacy. Let's put it that way. Uh, because my original career trajectory was I was going to become a district manager and then move up the corporate chain at Target. And that role also allowed for flexibility. So I believe that there's flexibility in a majority of industries. It's just, we got to find it. Let's put it that right. way. Yeah, you know, you do have to search and search and find for sure. Um, so I couldn't help but notice that you're also a licensed insurance agent. And I'm curious, is that completely separate from pharmacy work or are they somehow intertwined? Yeah, so uh, my parents started their first business 20 some years ago. Um, they started their second business shortly after. And then the most recent one was the insurance business. So um, we have a family insurance business. It only made sense that I saw people were, I saw my dad helping people because there's a lot of gaps that people don't understand in insurance. And it's a, uh, if you think about it, it's like a lot of people don't understand medicine, right? That's why we have mm -hmm. pharmacists. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand insurance and you could call an 800 number, but that's not going to be a person that's going to help you guide you through the tips and tricks. And so I saw that need and I said, hey, my, my dad already has a business. It only makes sense. So that's outside of the pharmacy realm. Okay, great. Okay. So anywhere from like home, auto, that kind of insurance? Yeah. So uh, I'm licensed in home and auto. Um, and commercial. So I actually got board certified to do personal lines commercial and uh, small business commercial, uh, which was cool because it was uh, it was like another board certification. Um, and uh, my dad, who owns the agency, is certified in everything essentially. So he can write home, auto, life, health, um, life, uh, umbrella, commercial, mm -hmm. pretty much anything you can think of, he can insure it. And uh, in I think five, six, I think we're in seven states now. Wow. Congrats. So, um, yeah. Thank you. So uh, I, I think of it as a way that, Hey, if I can't, if I can't help somebody that I know, at least I can connect them to my dad who has, you know, 15, 20 years of experience with this whole team. I wonder if your healthcare background, have you leveraged that at all to help serve healthcare professionals with these needs? Uh, I've talked to some healthcare professionals. Yeah. And I think I'm um, kind of going more into it. Uh, I think that that might be a good opportunity to kind of leverage so if anybody on this podcast needs help, we got you. Um, no, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of healthcare people that I've talked to. Uh, you know, there's a pharmacist that I talked to that, hey, they were paying double what they really needed to pay, but you never really think about it, right? In that sense, if you think about home, auto, these are basic things you just have to have, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't really always go around and you shop. And the beautiful thing is every year we're a brokerage. So every year we shop at 15, 20 companies that are 
you know, financially well they do. And so what we do is we just tell our clients, hey, uh, like, hey, Brooke, you know, this is kind of what the breakdown was this year. Uh, we really think that, you know, there's some potential for savings where you'll still have the same coverage in this company, this company, this company. If you want to stay where you're at, that's fine. But right. these are some options. So as a client or as a customer, and I think that's the other thing in healthcare that we don't really understand. As pharmacists, we go there to learn medicine to help people, but uh, we don't really understand the business or how to, how to sell or how to um, serve a customer, right? Yes, I hate calling patients customers because that's not what they should be. But at some point you have to realize that, hey, these people could go anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. People could go to get insurance anywhere. But the reason they come to us is for that service and that expertise. Mm -hmm. The reason that they come to us at our pharmacies, whether it's a community pharmacy, whether it's to engage with you in whatever area, mm -hmm. is that service, that trust, that expertise, there's some, that, some bond, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how I got on that tangent, sorry, but yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, customers, patients, they're looking for the same thing when they're looking for someone in any industry. Yeah. They're looking for a certain level of service, a certain level of trust, a certain level of expertise. So uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that made the connection for me. I think as healthcare providers, we're so busy with everything that's going on in work, right? And then when you come home from work, you might, some of, some, some of us might have to do work at home. Some of mm -hmm. us might have families and other responsibilities. You don't have time to really look into these things. So this is where we really tell our clients, hey, we got your back. Um, literally every one of our clients has our cell phone number, so you can contact us 24 seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and my dad has primarily built his business on word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And so it's really been people that know, like, and trust him. We'll refer people that know, like, and trust, right? Mm -hmm. So I like that aspect because it kind of reminds me of uh, my second community pharmacy role that I took was a small community pharmacy uh, environment where I grew up. And so I was actually serving the people that I grew up with and their parents. Mm -hmm. So everybody already had my info. They knew where I lived. I went to high school with them. They knew my cell phone number. So mm -hmm. any questions they had, it mm -hmm. was really more of a friend. And it wasn't that, um, you know how sometimes patients can feel embarrassed or shy or I don't, I don't want to bother my, my healthcare professional with this. Mm -hmm. it was none of that. So it was really unique. So that's the part of the insurance aspect that I like as well. And I think you also do social media for your dads. Yep. So right. we do okay. social media marketing. Um, they have another health and wellness business. They also have a mentoring business. And so I do all the social media for that too. So yeah, uh, like I said, if, if you want to get something done, probably give it to a busy person. They'll take yeah. care. Speaking of, speaking of being busy, you also do a social media manager. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, another thing you're involved in, speaking of being busy, is teaching at a lot of the local pharmacy schools here around Chicago. Um, tell us why this interests you and do you have a favorite teaching activity? Yeah, so it started with that, uh, that class that Dr. Winkler let me teach my P2 year, the Topics and Leadership Management class. And so from that, I realized that there was a need that I, um, the way I learn stuff is maybe different than other people. I have to kind of digest it in my own way for it to resonate with me. And so I thought that, hey, maybe these things and these skills that I learned could relate to other students. And so kind of doing that, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's like a high, but I feel excited when I have the opportunity. It's like right before I talk, I get really nervous. And then as I'm talking and communicating with people, I feel empowered. It's like, Hey, um, have you ever heard that analogy of, you know, you got to keep your cup full. And then when your cup is full, it overflows to other people. Mm -hmm. And so it allows me to keep my cup full. So, um, through that opportunity, I also kind of feel like I get to stay fresh. So what that means to me is, Hey, um, a student can have a different perspective or a student might not understand how 
uh, asthma works in a patient or how this mechanism of action works. And so if I can explain it in multiple different ways, that means that I've actually mastered that craft. If I just regurgitate what's into Puro, well then what good am I? They don't need me, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, I, and that, that was the other thing that even on rotations when I had students that uh, I was precepting, we would teach, we would talk about different things and I would say, hey, listen, you're not here to put 30 pills in a bottle. You're here to make an impact. You do need to understand the logistics, but you're gonna be essentially held to the standards of what a pharmacist would be held to. Because I feel like rotations are supposed to prepare you for the real world. What good would I be doing a student if I just told them to fill all day long for eight hours for 10 weeks or whatever, and then when they graduate and they become a community pharmacist, they're not an asset, but a liability. I wanted to produce assets to our profession, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we would also talk about other things where we talk about, hey, um, you need to understand that you as a professional, you as a human being are very valuable. Now figure out what are these skill sets that you have that can provide value and how you can make sure you're leveraging the most out of that. Um, but people, I guess, maybe just are not fortunate enough to have those experiences that said, hey, you need to write down all of your debts. You need to figure out what is your goals, write down what you want to do. Um, and we were kind of talking about it earlier, when you have financial freedom, it really allows you to be able to pick and choose the things that you do. Yes, I wanted to, I want to touch, I want to get back to that uh, topic on debt for a second. But first, I just want to say that I think that was awesome that you took the time to talk to your students about not just filling the pills in the bottle, but what impact are you going to have? And just to start that conversation, I think some pharmacists don't necessarily know themselves what value they're bringing to the table. So it's hard for them to even have that conversation with students if they don't have a good handle on it themselves. So kudos yeah. to you for um, passing that forward. And I love that analogy about kind of that almost the, uh, the being high almost or kind of the excitement of presenting. I, I do love that analogy of similar to like a runner's high where you're nervous right before the race and then that feeling of euphoria or a running, runner's high when you're presenting. I, I totally understand that. So thank you. And I think the good thing was that the, uh, the students also, if I was going to precept a student, I, it's kind of what you make of all your experiences in life, right? I had an experience where um, I had a rotation in a community setting that all I did was fill pills and do drive through and bring people out. And so I did it, but in my head, I said, hey, when I get in this position, I'm never gonna do this. And so if I could not add value to the student, what good was it for them to be there? So it also made me kind of brush up, hey, if I gave them a journal article, I needed to make sure I understood it. If we were talking about chronic disease states that were prevalent in my community, I needed to know the ins and outs. I couldn't just tell you, hey, diabetes, okay, we'll talk about metformin, no. I needed to know about serum creatinine, lab values, how does it work? We, we actually had a whiteboard, and this was something I get really excited about. We had a whiteboard at my pharmacy, and we would draw a mechanism of action, patient cases, because you're there to learn, right? I don't know, so that's just my take on that. Yeah, that's great, that's great. So let's get back to debt for a second, because I know that's looming on a lot of students' minds. Uh, they have, they know this debt will be there when they graduate. Uh, you've had kind of a unique approach to looking at that huge number. Uh, what advice do you have for students that kind of have that, that, that looming fear that they've got to pay this off? Yeah, so uh, I'm not a financial advisor, a financial guru or anything. So these are just my, my humble opinions. Right. Uh, but uh I think it's really trying to find somebody in life who is where you want to be. So, um, and many people won't share with you what their debt status is or whatever the case is, but this can relate in all aspects, whether it's your career, whether it's, there are some people that when they, when you see them work, 
they're at peace, right? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't stress them if they have to do another ridiculous amount of metrics. It, it's not a big deal. And so um, I think that's a big thing, finding people who are in life where you want to be and then figuring out what your core values are. I know people who I graduated with, their core values were they really enjoyed shopping um, and that's fine. And they really enjoyed as a pharmacist, you'll make good money. They wanted a new pair of shoes every year or every month, sorry. Um, and so that's fine. But then they also had a huge debt and they also didn't really care about the car they drove. I have pharmacy friends that I know that really care about the car they drive, but not anything else. Experiences, right? It depends. Figure mm -hmm. out what your core values are. And then based on that, backtrack, figure out the goal and then backtrack. So for me, my core value was I didn't want to be in debt. I didn't want to owe anything, anybody anything except my love. Like that's really all and my respect. Um, and so I figured that out my first, when I graduated, I had this little, what is it called? Exit counseling or whatever we had at Midwestern. And they turned this blue folder and said, hey, this is essentially your, your loan. And the only way it'll get paid off is if you die or if you pay it off essentially. <laughs> wow. It was, it was kind of uh, like brave, but it was great because it, it really resonated with me in the, sat, uh, in the sense that it imprinted that virally, this is a priority, you need to take care of this. And so what I did was literally every single dime, I made a budget. So I made a zero-based budget, meaning every single penny that came into my bank account was accounted for. And then based on that, I attacked the biggest goals I had. And at that time, it was my student loan. Mm -hmm. So um, on St. Patrick's Day in 2017, I remember it like yesterday, I was driving to work. I worked at Vernon Hills at the time. I could still like smell the dew on the grass in the morning. And <laughs> I called uh, Sally May or Navient or whatever they're called, and I paid my last loan payment. Wow. And so when I walked into in, uh, I walked into work, it didn't matter what scripts came in. It didn't matter who yelled. I told my text, "Do whatever you want. Like this is our show. We're gonna just take care of your patients. Don't worry about all this other stuff, you know." Um, but when you have that peace of mind, it makes a very big difference. If that's fair to say. Um, it's just find out, and th that was just a priority for me, right? For some people. It may not be feasible. I understand people have families and whatever. I understand it might take some people longer, but if it's a priority, just put a priority on it, if that's fair. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing. That's, yeah, and congratulations on paying it off. Thanks, I, I know, I know, uh, and again, there's different theories on this, right? I know uh, I was talking to an optometrist when I went for my eye exam and uh, her loan was at like 2%. So, okay, for some people it may not make sense, right? Whatever the case is. But when I graduated, my interest rate was 7.8 and like 8.9. So yeah, yep. it didn't make sense to keep it. You sure. Know? Um, Absolutely. Um, I think so that's also some... a case by case basis. So um, yeah, right. Exactly. If you yes. have more questions on that. We can talk off. off, off <laughs> on but yes, I got No, I think it's interesting that you, I like, I like how you preface it that you're not a financial advisor. Uh, so this, but so take this advice with a grain of salt. But some people like to hear real world examples of how. Uh, like a regular person just handles this. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of your passions include leadership. We've touched upon that already, working in teams, uh, networking. So how can pharmacy students and even pharmacists feel more comfortable with these topics and start utilizing the benefits of LinkedIn a little bit more and things that you've been you've been getting involved in? Yeah, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, I don't know if I would say that uh, networking started off as a passion for me. It started off as a necessity, right? And there's that, I don't know the exact saying, but there's that saying that says necessity is like the mother of all invention or something, right? 
and so for me, networking started off as a necessity. I needed to figure out how to get out of my, when I was in school, my current situation was I was in debt and I didn't have a job. So I needed to figure out how to get a job. Then when I was in community pharmacy, my situation was I wanted to switch fields. And uh, mm -hmm. just, again, this is just for me, it's mm -hmm. not anybody else. I wasn't gonna go to a residency. I wasn't gonna go to a fellowship and I wasn't gonna go back to college. So I knew that those three things I wasn't gonna do. So I needed to figure out how else I could put myself in these scenarios that I could present my story and the, the um, skills that I have mm -hmm. and what I could bring. So I used networking, whether that was going to any random networking event, you know, whether that was going to literally anything I could get my hands on. Um, more recently, uh, in terms of networking, we could talk about LinkedIn, right? The beautiful thing about the pandemic is most people are home more than ever. So for you to network with somebody, it's usually a phone call, a Zoom call, a Teams call, whatever. You don't have to go meet them somewhere. It's not awkward if you didn't say you didn't want to meet them, right? They can spend 15, 20 minutes getting to know you over a, a Zoom call, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's just the fact that just go for it, right? At some point, and I've had this fear a lot and I've had this throughout my, my career. And even when I try to do different things as I go forward, it's always that, oh, what if I do this wrong? Or what if I screw this up? But if you don't take any action, nothing's gonna happen. If you take some action, it's usually better than no action, right? Um, I can elaborate in different pieces if you want, but I feel like that's a kind of general overview there. No, I think that's great. I think what some pharmacists who are new to LinkedIn and students who are new to everything, I think they struggle with what's the first step and how do I just get started on this platform? So I talked to them a lot about starting with, you know, kind of like you're the inner circle and you connect with people you know, and then connect with people who may know like of you, like maybe people at school, but they don't know your first name. And then you can start feeling comfortable with connecting people who are complete and total strangers. Yeah. And uh, I think, so uh, I think that's a very good strategy. Um, the other thing is I think LinkedIn does a really good job of analyzing your profile. For, for basic people, right? It tells you, hey, your profile is like at an all-star level or whatever, but it essentially gives you things that you need to fill out. So just fill them out to mm -hmm. the best of your ability. Once you do that, start connecting with people. I think you do a really good job of this. And there's a lot of other people who are content creators. Um, I don't have the, uh, the I, don't, I don't want to say skills, but I, I, I haven't wrapped my head around that. But even if you post anything, right? About, hey, I read this. Hey, I did this. Hey, I read this book, this is what resonated. Any post like that has a chance to go viral, right? There was a post where I talked about how we present now and I was wearing a suit and I was wearing basketball shorts. Yes. The post got 19,000 views, right? There was people that didn't like the post that reached out to me that I ended up talking to them about insurance. That was not the intent of the post, right? right. But it's how you get, and I'm not a very creative person in that sense, but if you do something, it's better than nothing most times, right? And connecting with people, I feel like it's very important to send that personalized invite, right? So if I was reaching out to you, I might say something like this, and I've shared my script. It's not anything great. I would say, hey, Dr. Griffin, I'm not sure if you remember me, but we met at Midwestern. I was a class of 2015. I uh, hope all is well. I'd love to connect and uh, see what you've been up to. Sincerely, Vero. And it also gives you that skill that, hey, you only got 200 letters or characters, whatever it is. You need to be efficient in your communication and in your messaging. And then from that, after I talk to you, I'll share my story with you. Who knows? There might be someone that I know that I could connect you with. There might be someone you know that you could connect me with. And it may not even be in the first interaction, right? So just have interactions to have them, if that makes sense. 
No, I love this because it's totally supporting everything that I've been telling the students. So I feel like I'm not a crazy person because oh yes, <laughs> uh, I feel like I, I would tell them that professors love to hear from former students. It could be yeah. someone that you connected with from undergrad or a favorite professor from any class. It doesn't matter if it was a class of 200 and they, and they didn't know you when you were there. Just the fact that you're reaching out means so much. And the fact that you're, you gave them a little tips on how to utilize the 200 characters, yeah. uh, so powerful. Yeah. The crazy thing is, uh, you put Midwestern University or wherever you went to school. That's why I put, I even put the high school I went to because there's people that I've connected with that said, hey, oh, you went to this school? Oh yeah, I did too, great. That, uh, you know, when you connect with people and I think they talk about this in like how to win friends and influence people, but there's a barrier, right? So anytime you mm -hmm. talk to somebody, there's that wall. When you build some common ground, it, it you know, uh, kind of brings down that barrier and takes yes. you from common ground and then you take it to higher ground. Um, and I think that what you're sharing is, I mean, if a student doesn't get it, that's fine, but they should get it because that's literally how I've gotten every single job in my career. It's literally how I've gotten every single teaching engagement. Um, literally everything in my career has been through networking. Agree. Yes. And I heard a uh, podcast almost a year ago now, but I keep telling everybody about it, where she said, your next opportunity will not be a random link. It will be tied to a person. Yep. And because it's again, it's again, uh, just like we talked about in sales, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. If I know, like, and trust Brooke Griffin, then if somebody needs somebody in the areas of expertise, if I recommend Brooke Griffin and that person likes me, well, they're going to pick Brooke Griffin versus some rando that applied on Indeed or LinkedIn or whatever, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, no, totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And I, I do think you're a content creator. I, I, I see your stuff all the time. It's <laughs> awesome. And I think you're so relatable. Like the one with the basketball shorts, everyone could relate to. Yeah. And then I don't know if this was the same picture or a different picture where you had your laptop on top of the toilet paper. Yeah. And if you, <laughs> if you could see my laptop right now, it's on top of two shoe boxes. Yep. I mean, so like, yes, people can relate to that. So yep. you totally are a content creator. And, and so I, I think the other thing about that in, in the hopping back to the networking piece, there's somebody I met who went to Midwestern um, in 2000. I was not even in high school in 2000. But because of a networking event that Midwestern had, and now because of it being online, I connected with this person. This person uh, has some areas of expertise that I need to develop and connected me to a lot of people. And so again, uh, I really believe that relationships are, hey, you're a random person first, you become an acquaintance, then from that you might have a business relationship, but then you might have a friendship. When you go through that process and you get to the friendship stage, that's when you really know you've mastered that. Yeah. Um, and so now this person, I FaceTime with her kids, like we say, hey, hello, how are things? But like, that's how relationships should build, right? Right, and right. I've never met this person in real life, uh, I've just connected with them through LinkedIn because of this networking event that Midwestern put on. Right. Another great experience I had recently was somebody went to uh, Midwestern uh, for, I forgot what program it was, but then they went to another university and the other university they went to was in Philadelphia. I had, an, uh, I had a question about something. This person said, hey, I'm talking at my alumni uh, association in Philadelphia. Why don't you come to that event? There was no way I would have gotten access to a big school alumni event in Philadelphia had it not been for this person. Mm -hmm. Through that, I met seven other people in other industries. So it's, you never know, right? right. Um, but yeah, that, it's, the, it's the ripple effect. Yep. So for what that's worth. <laughs> that's great. Um, 
So we're, we've touched upon social media presence a little bit. Is there anything else we could say to encourage people to even just start thinking about their social media presence? Yeah, I think uh, nowadays when people want to either do business with you, hire you, talk to you, give you an opportunity, whatever, they're going to Google you, right? If you say, hey, I want, I want to buy this Yeti cup, you're going to Google Yeti, right? Like whatever mm -hmm. the case is. And so people Google everything, whether it's good or bad, that's a different story. People can put anything on Google, right? Um, it's like a, my dad calls it the, the internet bathroom wall. You could put whatever you want. It could be relevant. It could not. <laughs> but <laughs> your, your, your responsibility and my responsibility is, hey, we need to put as much good about ourselves that we can out there, right? So first things first is I would clean up my social media profiles. Uh, I had a Twitter I tried to clean it up as much as I could. I had a Facebook. I tried to clean it up as much as I could. Yeah, you could say it's private. It's not private, but you never know what picture is going to go where. What's why not? You know, uh, my Instagram. I I focus on main big themes that I'm passionate about on there. And then if we focus on LinkedIn, right? If you had to pick one, just pick one. Doesn't matter which one. Some people feel more comfortable with certain platforms. Doesn't matter. Pick whatever you're most comfortable with. Generally for professional networking, people use LinkedIn though. So if we talk about that, go through, fill out the information. And like you were saying that I really like that circle analogy, right? Um, it reminds me of Simon Sinek. He has a book called Start With Why. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? In the circle analogy, he talks about, hey, you go from this. And then as your circle influence expands, the reasons for people doing things are different. But uh, anyway, so I, I really like that idea where you say, hey, make your profile and then just start networking. I literally gave you a script. Uh, so whoever's listening, you can copy that. If you have questions, ask me. Um, I could probably list a handful of stories on where I've randomly met people. There's, and, and again, this will sound crazy, but it's related to networking, so I'll share it. Uh, I was watching a TV show uh, on MTV where there was a show about arranged marriages and somebody had a name similar to my name. It was actually spelled the exact same way. I Googled the people and I saw that this person was a physician and he was in a different area of pharmacy that I wanted to learn about. I literally did not know this person from the random person on the street. I messaged him said, hey, blah, blah, blah. I see you're in healthcare. I'd love to know more. Can we chat? This person got on the phone with me and spent two and a half hours. This was in uh, 2018. Wow. I recently talked to this person again. Uh, we spent another hour, hour and a half. This is a person I've never met because of me watching MTV and figuring out what this person did, uh, I had an opportunity that I might not have had otherwise, if that's fair to say. So you never know, right? Just be creative, be resourceful, be scrappy, right? Right, and uh, and have a updated LinkedIn profile so when people reach out to you, when random people like Viral reach out to you. Exactly, and I mean, you'll notice, you. yeah, you'll notice, uh, you know, you, you wanna have a decent picture. It doesn't have to be anything amazing. Mm -hmm. Have a decent picture, try to make it as professional as you can. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Make sure your profile's up to date. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it, right? Like, yeah. just do something. It's yeah. usually better than nothing. Um, and I mean, if anybody has any questions about that or anything, I, you can copy whatever you want from my LinkedIn. Feel free. If there are questions, we can talk about it. But I feel like I really, I really think it's important what you talked about in connecting with the people you know, and then connecting with other people, saying, hey, if there's somebody you might know. I believe there's an option on LinkedIn where you can connect somebody you know that I don't know and you can make an introduction or you can yes. just simply ask the person. Most people are pretty nice. 
And if they're not nice, you don't want to talk to them anyway, for the most part. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I think the other thing is key is find something to connect with this person, right? If you just randomly spam people, well, then LinkedIn will block you. You can send 50 messages or something a day, I think. Um, when I was doing my, uh, my hunt into managed care, I think you can send 50 messages a day. It might have changed. But actually have a genuine conversation. Pick something out of their profile. There was somebody I messaged the other day uh, who's a national director of a, of a company. And um, he talked about how his daughter got into Harvard, I believe. And this is a, it was an African-American gentleman. And he talked about family values. I literally messaged him and I said, hey, someone in a position that's as high as you in a big fortune company talking about family values and talking about this importance really resonated with me. Thank you. Literally, that's, I don't, I didn't want anything. I just wanted to say thank you. Mm -hmm. So you just got to get creative and, and find opportunities. There's, the world is literally like your catalog. That's what I say. Just pick what you want. I love that. I love that. And I love the idea of reaching out without an ask. You don't necessarily think I don't have nothing to ask or what am I, I feel sleazy reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn. Yeah. No, you're thanking them for whatever they posted. You're making connection right. to whatever you're seeing in their profile. So I love that. And if, if I wanted to ask somebody for something, I make it very clear. Hey, um, hey, Dr. Griffin, I see you're in this position. I would like more experience or I would like more um, insight on this. Would you mind chatting with me? Because when it looks sleazy is when you don't ask and then you talk to the person and then four or five messages later, you say, hey, blah, blah, blah. And you like kind of sneak it in. And that's sleazy in my opinion. Mm -hmm. If I okay. ask, or if I'm trying to say, uh, let's say in our example, if I was trying to get into academia, I said, hey, Dr. Griffin, I see you're in academia. I'd love to spend uh, some time with you if you have. And um, could we chat so I could learn more? You know my intentions. So if you want to, you will say yes. And if you don't, you just won't reply. It's a no harm either way, right? Right, exactly, yeah. So uh, the, the thing that kind of irks me the most if whoever's listening is you just add connect and then you don't message the person like, why did you add me? So then if you add me and then you reach out to somebody I know and then they ask me my experience with you, I'm gonna say you're a rando that I don't know. So it's not, it's gonna hurt you. So whoever you add, just message them and have a genuine connection. Right. Yeah, it's like agreed. right now. <laughs> yes, yes. So tell us a little bit more about uh, one of your mentors and how they've helped you. Um, so I've been really fortunate that my parents actually got me around a lot of successful entrepreneurs when I was younger. And um, so in the sense, I would say there's a whole system of people that have really helped me. It wasn't just me. There's a whole system of people. Um, throughout my childhood to now, and, and obviously in different phases. But what, what that really did for me is, hey, you know, um, fear is just false evidence appearing real, right? Like different things like this. And I needed these acronyms. I have a whole thing on my phone because everybody goes through lulls. Everybody goes through slumps, maybe now more than ever. So everybody needs those pick-me-ups. So it gave me that, that pick-me-up. It gave me insight into different opportunities. It gave me the skills that these people might not have, right? Only one, of the, only one of these people is a pharmacist, but outside of that, nobody else has a background in anything healthcare. But the skills that they taught me allowed me to take that and use it in my healthcare practice. Um, and I think uh, there was something else. Uh, there was something else that we had talked about uh, where there was a, a quote, right? And if that's okay, I could share. This quote that has really resonated with me for a long time is, 
the best use of your life is to live your life so that the use of your life outlives your life. It's a tongue twister and it's, it's pretty deep, but I just like the way it sounds. I like the message. And if you think about it, I talked about this on another podcast I was in, we're only here for a finite amount of time, right? Um, and so that's why it really goes back to your core values. What's important? Do you want to spend family time? Do you want to have these experiences? Do you want to buy a bag or whatever? Like what's important to you as a human? Because it won't be the same for everybody, right? And so I really realized that, hey, in this life that I have, I wanted to be able to make an impact so that it outlived my life. I wanted to be able to create something so that when I'm long gone, people can still say that, hey, because of the things that Vero had created, or hey, Vero connected me to so-and-so, or hey, um, because of that, and I'm getting goosebumps now, but it is what it is, uh, because of that, we're better off, or because of that, I was able to get this opportunity. And it could be selfish, or you could just think of it as, you know, creating something that outlives your life, but. Wow, that was really deep, and I'm so glad you shared. Can you read the quote again? Yeah, yeah, so the quote is, the best use of your life is to live your life so that the use of your life outlives your life. Wow, and that's basically what legacy is and, and exactly. you're living it, that, that's yeah, awesome. Legacy impact and I think a lot of my mentors had taught me that in a different way, right? They had taught me in a different way to do that, um, but now kind of just extrapolating it with my generation and, and the way that our world is now, right? They had done it in the 80s and 90s and now the way our world is, it's a little bit different. So you just have to do it differently. Yeah. Speaking of a different world uh, than our mentors, tell us what social media platforms you're on and how can we connect with you? Yeah. So I am on, uh, if, if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search Vero Vyas. You'll find me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Vero Vyas and you can connect with me on Instagram if you want at VVS3. And my last question for you is you talked about leaving this legacy, having this impact on the profession. What is it that you, what impact do you want to leave? On pharmacy? Yeah, so I think, I think for me, it was, it started off as that, but then it went to something much bigger in the sense that I wanted to leave an impact in the world, right? Um, and I know this podcast is probably primarily towards pharmacists and pharmacy is, is cool and awesome. We could probably relate to that, but I think I just wanted to have people understand more so than maybe some clinical stuff or, or something like that. I just wanted people to understand that, listen, you have the opportunity to do whatever it is that your heart desires. You literally can control your destiny, right? Your life, you can control a lot of these things. And it's just knowing that, hey, you have that ability, so don't settle for less, right? And if you need to figure out or you need to have some someone to bounce ideas off of, that's cool, I got you, we can do that. But just don't be in a place that you're miserable, right? You should never, uh, and I think this changed after March 17, 2017, which was that great day. I would wake up in the morning and I was not, up until that day, I was genuinely stressed. After that day, I didn't really have, I had some stress, but then it was a different, you know, it was like a piece that, hey, I could really do whatever I wanted. And if, if my company, for whatever reason, didn't like it, it's no big deal. It's been real. I'll go find something else. Um, and that's the ability, right? Your net work is really what determines your net worth, right? So if you keep networking, even if, God forbid, somebody lost their job, if you have a sizable network of people that you genuinely connected with and relate to and communicated with, you will be able to get something else. So you need to do this before you have that problem. It's like dig your well before you're thirsty. What I see a lot of people doing is when they're thirsty and, and, and you know, drenched, 
they say, hey, uh, I need to go on LinkedIn to find a job. No, dude, do that. You needed to do that before you needed the job so that if God forbid that ever happened, you could reach out to these connections and say, hey, we built these relationships. I, you know, I'm looking for a job or a new opportunity. So that's, that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I and love that. But that can go into another. another <laughs> <laughs> that will be uh, version two of the podcast. Yeah, part yeah, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a very similar quote that I use. Uh, don't uh, wait till you need your network, feed your network. Yeah. So it makes and a lot so, of sense. Like you, yeah, right. Like every time you share an interview with somebody, you're adding value, right? And so you're feeding that network. And so uh, actually, I, I heard an uh, interview you did with, uh, with Charmin. And mm-hmm. so that's how I got connected to Charmin. And so then I said, hey, this might be a cool opportunity. So see that value that you added, you didn't even know it was going to reach me, but it right. did. And that's the ability to create an impact, that ripple effect, right? Yes. No, I love that. I thought you already knew Charmy. I didn't realize it was because of the podcast. That's because of the podcast. Yeah. I, I, that's fantastic. I think my cousin was roommates with her cousin or something. I don't know, something weird like that. But uh, Oh, you found the common ground. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I found common ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I asked her about her experience on the podcast. She said it was great. So I said, hey, you know, and so, um, but that's again, adding value that this probably would have never happened had I not heard that podcast or even saw it, right? Yes. And the the thing that people don't realize about LinkedIn is people don't have to like your post. They don't have to comment it. They just have to see it. And as long as they see it, something that resonates with them might make them reach out to you. Right. Oh, I'm so glad you did, Viral. This has just been fascinating. And I know everyone's going to get a ton out of this episode. And I just wish you the best in your future career. And I'm very proud of this Midwestern alum. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brooke, for, for investing some time with me today. And uh, I'm excited to see what we can do in the future. Sounds good. Happy New Year, Viral. Happy New Year. Here are my takeaways. Like Viral, we can all turn accidental encounters into networking opportunities. Our career and our happiness is no one else's responsibility but our own. And like he says, the world is your catalog. We have to decide what we want. Thank you, Viral. It was a pleasure reconnecting with you. I am so proud of you, and I can't wait to see where your career goes. Please connect with our guest on LinkedIn and please follow us on social media, 21st Century FarmD. If you know someone who I should interview, please email me at 21stCenturyFarmD at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group that's for pharmacists, new grads, and students. Check us out.